Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about a bloke who, uh, well, look, who quite possibly has saved more lives than any other human being in the history of our species. This bloke, his name was Edward Jenner, and he's responsible for developing the world's first ever successful vaccine. In 1797, this bloke successfully vaccinated someone against smallpox. And his discoveries led not only to the eradication of smallpox in, 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 you know, in the 70s, and in, in, in 1980 when it was officially announced, but also to the medical practices behind vaccination more generally and, and, and immunization, I guess, you know, as, as a science, as a practice here. So we've got a lot to thank Jenna for as his work, you know, paved the way to save millions and countless lives over the last 200 odd years. However, it is not. It's it's not quite as cut, it's almost as cut and dried as that, <laughs> but the, you'll you'll find that Jenner was uh, oh look, well by all accounts he was a, he was a pretty decent bloke he was a great bloke but you know no one no one had too, anything too bad to say about him but uh, the methods he used in working on the smallpox vaccine were uh, uh, yeah I don't know let's just let's just say he, he wouldn't have gotten away with it these days as uh, as you'll find out uh, you know very shortly here in any case he's um he's rather. Uh, proactive, I guess you could say, approach to research and experimentation uh, to one side for one moment there. Uh, Jenner's ideas, they're ahead of, they're ahead of the time. Uh, this was before germ theory. This is when, you know, uh, smallpox was ravaging the world. It killed countless people throughout human history, hundreds and hundreds of millions, maybe billions even, it's that, it's that many. Uh, but today, it's officially been eradicated, only existing uh, as, as, as lab specimens in, in, in tightly secured uh, scientific facilities there. And a lot of that is because of the pioneering work uh, done by Edward Jenner. Of course, there are other people involved as well, but Jenner was, uh, was the, the shining star here over two centuries ago. Let's get underway with his story and let's find out what he was all about. So we're going all the way back, all the way back here to around... 10,000 BCE, and uh, no, that's not because Jenner was, you know, some kind of ageless demigod cursed to walk the earth alone for thousands of years. No, no. It's because this is the best guess we have at when smallpox actually emerged as a disease. Apparently, it was around that time, around 12,000 years ago. There were small agricultural villages that in, you know, northern Africa that are believed to have been afflicted with smallpox. And, And there's very firm evidence of, you know, Egyptian mummies from around 1500 BCE onwards having the disease. Uh, did a bit of a world tour in the years after that, cruising around modern day India and China before heading into Europe and ravaging the Roman Empire in the second century CE. And uh, many of you, of course, will know more recently, uh, relatively speaking at least, how smallpox was spread to the Americas by the Spanish and the Portuguese conquistadors uh, in the south. And then later on in, in, in North America, of course, uh, other European settlers uh, well, it destroyed entire, you know, entire empires throughout the Americas. The the Incas, the Aztecs were devastated by smallpox, and it was it was used as one of the first wide scale biological weapons against uh, against Native American populations in the north. So, you know, pretty pretty terrible stuff all around with smallpox. Anyway, you slice it. But by the time we get to the 18th century, and our mate Jenner, smallpox 
a global disease. It's endemic to a huge percentage of the world. It's killing countless millions, and it's blinding many who, you know, if if you were lucky enough to survive, a lot of people were struck blind for the rest of their lives there. The disease, obviously, absolutely horrific. It would cover its victims' bodies with these horrible red pustules that would leak fluid before coming scabs, and you know there'd be fevers and hemorrhages and all sorts of just truly awful. It was it was bloody terrible. This disease. And, uh, and this is what people were contending with before Jenner arrived on the scene and started to sort it out. Well, actually, look, I mentioned the fact that there were some other people. Credit where credit is due. He wasn't the first to figure out that it was possible to prevent people from being infected with smallpox. He wasn't the first to figure out that there were ways to treat it or, or prevent it at least. Um, various people around the world in, in East Asia and Africa and Europe, they figured out that people who survived smallpox were later immune to it and practice very rudimentary forms of inoculation uh, using smallpox scabs to try to infect them in a more minor way, try to bring on a, you know, a, a mild case of the disease in order to inoculate, uh, inoculate you from getting it properly. Uh, but this, of course, was horribly risky and very unscientific, and it also wasn't particularly effective. It was Jenna who brought some sci- much-needed scientific rigor to the whole process here. But, uh, you know, I just want to, make it, I want to make it clear that people were trying to inoculate themselves against smallpox before Jenna came along. People in, in, in China were, and this, this is not a joke actually, people in China were snorting uh, powdered small uh, smallpox scabs as early as the mid 16th century. Never mind, you know, <laughs> never mind getting on the bloody white lightning. They're, they're cutting off, uh, they're cutting out fat chieftains of, of, these, uh, <laughs> of these smallpox scabs and bloody snorting them up like a vacuum cleaner. Disgusting. Anyway. It was Jenner, as I say, who took us from the risky business of inoculation to the relative safety of vaccination. So now let's let's actually get underway with his story here. Jenner was born on the 17th of May in 1749 in Berkeley in Gloucestershire. Now, uh, you know, a, a quick aside here. This has got nothing to do with smallpox, nothing to do with Jenner, but I do have to mention this because, you know, again, I have to be fair. I want to be even handed here. I'm always having a go at, you know, the Dutch and the Danish and whatever else for having unpronounceable words in their language. But what kind of a pronunciation is Gloucester when it's clearly spelt Gloucestershire? Like, this is bloody ridiculous. It's the same for for Worcestershire, Worcester, apparently. But the worst, oh, the worst of them all is definitely God Manchester, which they claim is actually pronounced Gumpster. Absolutely Laughable, and don't even get me don't get don't get me started on bloody Cholmondeley, which they say is Chumley. I mean, get it, get out, get out of town. What, what are you talking about? Anyway, Jenna, he's born back then in 1749, and is the eighth of nine children had by Stephen and Sarah Jenner. Now, Stephen Jenner, he was the vicar of Berkeley, uh, but both he and Sarah died and left young Edward an orphan at the age of just five. But luckily for him, nonetheless, uh, his, his older siblings looked after him and uh, he received a good education. And while he was growing up, funnily enough, actually, he, uh, he himself received an inoculation against smallpox, which, uh, which didn't agree with him at all, did affect his health uh, you know, into his adult life. But at the age of 14, after growing up, getting a good schooling, he became a surgeon's apprentice. He worked, he worked alongside a bloke named Daniel Ludlow. Ludlow? I don't know how it's pronounced. Again, English. English, just as bad as these other, these other languages, really. Anyway, uh, working with Daniel Ludlow there uh, and moved away 
from his his native little uh, home hometown, home village there, working as far away as London for a while there. He loved his natural history as well as medicine, and he even worked to classify some of the stuff that Captain James Cook brought back uh, from his first voyage in 1772. So very interested in the natural sciences as well as uh, as well as medicine, as I say. Cook incidentally actually asked Jenner to come along on his second voyage, but our mate declined the invitation, deciding instead to stay in Britain. And by 1773, the next year, Jenner is a qualified doctor and a surgeon, by 18th century standards, that is, of course. Um, and he returned to Bar- Berkeley. I don't know if it's Berkeley or Berkeley. It's probably Berkeley, isn't it? Jeez, I'm so sorry to all the Dutch and the, the and the Danish and the and the Flemish listeners who I've you know been teeing or the French as well, I've been teeing off at them mercilessly for their for their language and their stupid pronunciation. But English is English is just as bad, if not worse, really. Anyway. Um Returned to his native his, his little hometown there, and, uh, and and started to work as a family doctor. He joined a couple of small medical societies as well as the Freemasons. He maintained a keen interest in natural science. He wrote a bit of poetry, played the violin. This bloke, you know, he was into a bit of everything. But uh, more than anything else, he did love his science. In fact, his first contribution to the world of science was actually a zoological one when he published his first work, uh, which was on the cuckoo of all things, the bird. It's a it's a bloody nasty bird. I didn't know this before. I'd read about Jenner actually. A little little bit of a bonus bird fact here cuckoos are cuckoos are bloody horrible they're they're brood like what's known as a, a brood parasite they lay their eggs in the nests of other birds uh, but we actually didn't know about this brood paratism uh, paratism properly until jenna came along and wrote about it. he was the very first person to describe it he wrote about how newly hatched cuckoo chicks would actually chuck the host's eggs and other hatchlings out of the nest to kill them, which is bloody rude of them. Um, and, and a lot of people actually didn't believe this when he first... But of course, now we know it to be true. Jenna was the first one to talk about it or describe it scientifically, at least. But many people didn't uh, believe him. They, they ridiculed him for his work on cuckoos for, for years and years afterwards. Uh, but uh, this publication, nonetheless, it was well received by, uh, you know, by, by the, the, learned, uh, the learned people of science. And it was enough to get him into the Royal Society in 1788. And that was the same year that he married a woman named Catherine Kingscott, uh, with whom he started a family. But so far, it's been pretty straightforward, pretty unexciting life for old Jenna, hasn't it? You know, a bit of doctoring, a bit of bird watching, wife and kids, no worries. But as we speed towards the 1790s, that is all about to change because Jenna is getting closer and closer, of course, to changing the course of world history by producing the vaccine for smallpox. Now, at this time, at this stage in history... Everyone knew that if you survived smallpox the first time, there would never be a second. You were immune to the disease after having it once, and you could never contract it again. Similar to this, it was also common knowledge that if you survived an infection of cowpox, a slightly different disease, you'd also end up immune to smallpox. Now, cowpox was a, you know, as I say, a similar disease, although much, much less severe and much less dangerous. So, once again, in fairness, let's have a chat about some of the people who laid the foundations of Jenner's enormous scientific leap forward here because in the 1760s, a bloke named John Fuster had investigated the connection between prior infection with cowpox and making people immune to smallpox. And in the 1770s, at least five other researchers around Europe played around with smallpox immunisation, some of them performing even live experiments, some of them on their own kids as well. But none went as far or were as successful as Jenner. And that's why he's the bloke we're talking about today. Because in 1796... Jenner formed a hypothesis that deliberately infecting someone with cowpox could be a way to protect them from smallpox. And so he began to test this hypothesis with a rather, um, 
a rather regressively direct approach, shall we say? You know, this isn't the this isn't the world of lab trials and uh, you know ex- uh, experimental mice or anything else like that. If you wanted to do a bit of a cold hard science, sometimes you had to. You know, if you wanted to make a science omelet, sometimes you have to break some eggs, and uh, and, and that is just what Edward Jenner did here while he was uh, you know on on his quest for the uh, for uh, a vaccine for smallpox here. So, given their constant exposure to cows. A lot of milkmaids had developed cases of cowpox and were therefore immune to smallpox. So, you know, these people working with cows every single day, a lot of them would actually pick up the disease from, you know, working with cows that were infected as well. And as a result, they would be inadvertently immunized against smallpox. So... After Jenner had finished theory crafting and sort of laid out what he wanted to investigate here, he approached one of these milkmaids who was a woman named Sarah Nelms. Now, Nelms at this time, she was suffering from cowpox. She'd caught it off a cow named Blossom, and she had some very nasty lesions and and pustules on her hands here. Anyway, Jenner one day, he goes to her and he says, "Um, G'day there, Sarah, mate. Gee, bloody nasty bit of cowpox you've got there, eh? That's no good. And she goes, oh, yeah, mate, but, uh, you know, what are you, you going to do? Got these bloody lesions all over me hands and arms, a bit bloody gross, but uh, that's how it goes, you know, all over bloody blossoms out as they are, so you can't really avoid it, can you? And he goes, oh, mate, no, look, big shame, but, uh, but, but listen here, listen here, I've got a favour to ask you, but a bit of a weird one for you, to be honest, Sarah, mate. And she goes, uh, yeah, well, all, all, all right, Eddie, you know, what is it? I'm, I'm a bit worried here, but I'll have a listen, go on. And he goes, yeah, no, look, it is a weird one, but uh, nothing too bad or anything. Look, here's what I want to do. You know, them. You know, you got them pustules, like you know, they got they 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 ooze that disgusting pus and fluid and, and whatever else. And she goes, yeah, mate, yeah, I, you know, I do all too bloody well. I know it. It's, it's it's obviously it's bloody gross. I'm sick of it. And he goes, well, yeah, look, to be honest with you, I'm actually uh, I'm actually after a bit of that pus, if you wouldn't mind, if I could just you know pop it in this little this little here this high, this here vial I've got. Uh, that that'd be bloody great. And she is looking at him like he's bonkers. She's going, bloody hell, what is, what is this mental case on about? He wants his pass. What's he on, mate? But she says, uh, sure, or like, fine, you huge weirdo. Go on, then I'll give you a bit of this pass. You bit, uh, bit bonkers of you, mate. But look, uh, you do. You no judgment here. Go on then. So, um, so with his little vial of pus now, well, actually, I, I should say, I, I don't know that it was actually, I don't, you know, I don't know hundred percent that he had a vial. A bit, a bit of artistic license here, mate. Although, although, although that that transcript, uh, the the conversation there, absolutely hundred percent, hundred percent historically accurate, verified historical transcript. Don't even worry about it. Anyway, with his vial of pus, he goes off to test his theory, and this is where we get to the bit of the story that uh, you know, <laughs> absolutely could never possibly hope to happen these days the bit that makes you go general old mate look you know thanks for saving billions of lives but did you really have to do it this way because bloody hell it doesn't you know this uh, it didn't age well i suppose uh, because what he does right he gets a small kid an eight-year-old boy whose name was james phipps he was the son of a poor laborer and look you know i can I can all I can almost hear your teeth shatter from how much you're cringing as you listen to this, but steel yourself because here we go. Jenna gets Phipps and makes a few little superficial scratches on his arms and then rubbed the pus from Nelms into them. Oh, this poor bloody kid roped into this mad science experiment. I tell you what, it's no bloody good. But even if Phipps didn't know it at the time, he was helping to set the world along a course to a much brighter future. So good on you, James Phipps, at the age of eight, uh, you know, of course, being involved in, in world-changing scientific research, even if you, you know, didn't quite know what you were getting yourself into there. Anyway. 
Jenner he infected poor old Phipps with this cowpox, uh, and, and sure enough, after a few days, this poor little kid he starts showing symptoms as expected. But mercifully, these symptoms were you know were, were quite mild, which is obviously good for you know for how bad it could have been. He had a bit of soreness, a bit of a headache, loss of appetite, didn't sleep too well. But broadly speaking, just a mild case of cowpox there for poor little Phipps, and he made a full recovery, and he was hale and hearty once again. Brilliant, but. Now came the real test because six weeks after this uh, this uh, this uh, inoculation here, six six weeks after this little vaccine, Jenna then inoculated Phipps for smallpox. Now this you know this isn't all that horrific to be honest by the standard of, the standard of those days anyway. Here the you know inoculation was common enough. Remember Jenna himself had gone through it as a youngster. But the, you know, the whole idea of inoculation was to infect you with a mild case of the disease, which would then grant immunity. So Phipps's reaction to inoculation was remarkable here because Jenna, he went through the usual process, a few scratches on the arms, a bit of pus or powdered scabs from a, a smallpox victim there. And, you know, just like everyone else was inoculated back then. However, Phipps didn't show the slightest symptom of anything at all whatsoever. The smallpox didn't seem to affect him in the slightest. Bloody brilliant. He's done it. Jenna, mate, you're a genius. He's a legend. Get around him. Oh, wait. Oh, what's that? Oh, you, you want to try? You want to try again just to make sure? Jeez, all right, mate. Well, I guess, you know, in the interest of the scientific method, we've got to, don't we? As a matter of fact, Jenna tried to infect Phipps with smallpox no fewer than 20 more times after this. I talked about scientific rigor, but bloody hell, mate. But each time, each time, Phipps showed no symptoms and seemed to be, for all intents and purposes, completely immune to smallpox. Phipps had done an incredibly, an incredibly huge service, a service to the development of science, medicine, and you know the, the health of our species. That can hardly be understated. I do want you to remember this bloke's name. This poor little kid, James Phipps. He, he, he was instrumental in this research being done. And look, in fairness as well, Jenna, who you know seemed to have been a pretty good bloke all in all, he didn't just forget about Phipps and sort of you know lay him on, you know, leave him by by the by. He he gave him and his family a you know a, a house to live in. And, uh, you know, despite us today looking at what Jenna did with, you know, a certain level of horror, you know, experimenting with deadly diseases on a small child, in the context of the times, it was actually a fairly unexciting medical procedure, you know, this inoculation process there. So it wasn't it wasn't the sort of thing that people were, you know, particularly horrified about uh, back then. Anyway, our mate Jenna, he's really onto something here because he's just proven something enormous. Not only can cowpox be used to immunize people against smallpox, so you know this this mild disease used to inoculate people or immunize people against a, a disease that is much, much more horrific, you can also use cowpox from a human to do it. They don't have to start milking cows themselves and get it from the cow itself. The, the 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 this you know this vaccine this rudimentary early vaccine can actually be taken from humans that have contracted cowpox already so it's a, you know this this is a huge step forward and after the uh, success of his first experiment Jenner continued to investigate and research his theory with the scientific rigor you've, that you've come to expect from such a bloke and after having worked on uh, you know on, on developing what was the world's first vaccine. He repeated the Phipps experiment on 23 more people, one of whom was his 11th, 11-month-old son. So I tell you what, he was he was very ready to put his pus where his mouth was. You've got to give him that. He named this treatment, after having developed it, you know, and figured out what was going on with it, he named this treatment a vaccine, using the, uh, the Latin word for cow as a basis for this new term. However... 
many people were very slow to warm to Jenna's radical new idea. This idea that rubbing cowpox pus into an open wound would grant you immunity to smallpox. People, you know, weren't too keen on it to begin with. I mean, you know, they're off snorting powdered smallpox scabs. That's fine. But this pus business, no, that's a bridge too, uh, a bridge too far. Sure, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, look, poor old Jenna. He submitted his research to the Royal Society, but they refused to publish it for quite some time. And additionally, he was ridiculed and lambasted by many for his discovery, including people in the scientific community, uh, you know, by idiots who, who used his previous work on cuckoos, which was also radical, but also correct to make him out as a huge fool. However, in the face of torment, in the face of ridicule with people, you know, laughing at him as he goes down the street, in the face of rejection from other scientists and scientific organizations, in the face, in the face, in the face of so much adversity and opposition, what Jenna went on to do is absolutely incredible. Because Jenna, after having developed a proper refined vaccine to smallpox, he then worked so, so unbelievably hard to make sure that this vaccine was available to any and all who asked for it for free. Imagine that. After having made a world-changing medical breakthrough, he did everything he could to get it into the hands of everyone everywhere with never a thought for personal gain. In fact, it was quite the opposite. His campaign to spread the vaccination cost him a fortune, not to mention the, the personal attacks, the professional ridicule, his, his private practice was in tatters, his, his finances were terrible, he was running out of money, he was you know, on, the, on the verge of you know, bankruptcy and poverty. It was, it, was, it was terrible for this poor bloke because he was trying to do such a good thing and save the world from this terrible disease. And he persevered. He persevered against the tide of public opinion and slowly... But surely this tide began to turn. After seeing its efficacy for themselves, doctors throughout Britain and then throughout Europe began to vaccinate their patients and governments got on board too with, with nationalised immunisation programs. And before long, the vaccine had spread further to the US, to Harvard University, where a professor there introduced, uh, introduced to Thomas Jefferson, who set up a, uh, a national vaccine program in the United States as well. And in 1803, a Spanish-led expedition took the vaccine all throughout other parts of the Americas and to Asia. Again, all done for the good of the species and not for profit. It was truly an incredible time for medicine and the advent of, uh, you know, of, of philanthropic, generous healthcare that was, that was you know, being, again, spread around the globe here without, without a thought for money. It was, it was quite incredible. And this isn't always the case. It's not, you know, this isn't always the, the way that things go, especially these days. I'm thrilled to say that Edward Jenner also managed to defy, you know, a, a historical trend in, in doing this because, you know, he, his, his philanthropy, his generosity, his hard work ultimately resulted in him receiving the accolades, the honours and the rewards that he so richly deserved for his work in his lifetime. This man selflessly sought to improve the condition of our species on this planet. And in doing so, he was rewarded before he died with not only recognition, but just piles and piles of money as well in 1802 by you know by which time jenna's vaccine had been widely adopted um he he petitioned the british parliament after you know having again saved the lives of, of countless thousands in, in his lifetime or in just in the sh few short years that since he developed it and he he, he talks to the parliament about he had been financially ruined by the spread by uh, you know spreading this vaccine and they gave him ten thousand pounds for what he'd done and then five years later they gave him another twenty thousand that is over 1.3 million pounds these days, nothing to sniff at, and it undid all the financial hardship that Jenner had gone through while working to spread the vaccine. And, uh, and, and you know, again, 
gave him a, a measure of... Uh, it was just laser-guided karmic justice for this bloke who, again, had put his, his his life, his fortune, his reputation on the line here in, in, in hoping to combat this, this horrific disease. And additionally, and this is truly incredible as well here, check this one out, because such, such was Jenner's fame and renown that Napoleon himself, who was fighting a war with the British at this time, he was so grateful for Jenner, uh, you know, to, to, for Jenner giving him the opportunity to vaccinate all of his troops, all these French troops, that he agreed to release some British prisoners of war and he sent them home by way of gratitude to what, for what Jenner had done for, you know, for, for not just the French, not just the British, but for the entire world. So often, a great person won't receive the accolades and the rewards that they deserve for their contribution to our species in their lifetime, but it is not so with Jenner. Not only did he defy, you know, the expectations we may have these days of someone who makes such an enormous medical breakthrough, you know, he didn't he didn't turtle up and put uh, his uh, his incredible incredible life-saving medicine behind a paywall. No, he he made it free and available for everyone who wanted, everyone who needed it. And also, perhaps as a result of this, he was one of those geniuses who was recognised within his lifetime, who did receive the the accolades and the rewards with this, you know, with this, uh, you know, as I say, this laser guided karmic justice that was uh, that was you know so so rightfully and so richly deserved here, like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's so excellent. It really is just so excellent that Jenner's selfless work to improve the human experience of you know of of, of life did not go unrewarded. As I said, by all accounts, he was a great bloke and he got what he deserved for, for, for what he had done there. And Jenna, I'm very happy to, happy to say that uh, Jenna, he lived happily ever after. He lived, to, he lived out the rest of his life in peace and prosperity. He became the president of the, uh, of the Genarian Society, which dedicated itself to the, uh, the eradication of smallpox. And he was made an honorary member of a number of scientific societies around the world. He ended up as the mayor of his home village, Berkeley or Barclay, however you bloody say it, and a justice of the peace. And he was appointed a uh, physician extraordinary to King George IV in 1821. But for the most part... He went back to his simple and straightforward life of being a local family doctor in the in the British countryside. And throughout all this, he kept up his keen interest in the natural sciences as well. So he really didn't let this go to his head. He really did not. Now, he did say that he lived happily ever after. But of course, you know, part of the human condition is loss, grief and suffering. And uh, tragically, many of his family members uh, died well before they should have. Uh, many of tuberculosis, a disease that still ravages the planet today, of course. He lost his son, two sisters and then his wife to the disease. And uh, perhaps because of this, as well as his advancing age, he slowly withdrew farther and farther from public life. Although shortly before he died, he presented his very final scientific work to the Royal Society, which was titled Observations on the Migrations of Birds. This bloke just really, <laughs> look, he just really loved his birds, all right? He just really loved his birds. But on the 23rd of January in 1823, Jenna returned from visiting a patient and the next morning, he didn't come down for breakfast, and he was later found in his study. He had had a massive stroke, the second stroke that he'd had, and he never recovered from it. Edward Jenner, he died on the 26th of January, 1823, his life coming to an end after 73 years. And he was buried in his hometown of Barclay, and James Phipps, a grown man by now, was there at his funeral. It is impossible to understate the impact that this man has had on the history of our species and the history of our civilization, while while others had experimented with what would become, you know, later become known as smallpox vaccinations, none of them did it with the determination, the relentlessness, and, and, and above all, and above all, the generosity of Edward Jenner. 
This man, he selflessly devoted years and years of his life to making the world a better place. And he was ridiculed and he was tormented for it for years. But in 1980, when the World Health Organization declared that smallpox had been eradicated from the face of the planet, Jenner achieved a final and an undeniable vindication. He paved the way for us to save billions of lives. And he did it not for fame, not for fortune, or not even for riches, but he did it because it was the right thing to do. So much of our history is about the terrible and and, and about the horrific, about wars and plagues and famine and, you know, good old horrible murder. But every now and again, someone comes along and and leaves a legacy of, of unbounded and impossibly vast positivity. And one such person is Edward Jenner. The fact that we live today in a smallpox-free world, and the fact that today vaccines exist for tuberculosis and diphtheria, tetanus, for measles and mumps and, and hepatitis, and much more recently things like malaria and dengue fever, all of this can be traced back to Jenner's visionary work and the tenacity with which he fought for it to be spread throughout the world for the good of humankind. So to Edward Jenner, I say thank you. Thank you for leaving your indelible mark on history, for bettering the lives of people everywhere throughout the centuries, even if you did have to, you know, rub pus into the open wound of an eight-year-old to do it, I suppose. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Edward Jenner, the man who, again, changed the course of human history with his his scientific brilliance and more than anything else, his determined generosity. And I'll tell you what, I can't, cannot really overstate how much I admire this man. Anyway, that is that for another week of Half House History. Got all the boring housekeeping stuff coming your way. Halfhousehistory.net is the website. You find all the episodes there and you can subscribe. Links to subscribe to the show are also on the website. You can subscribe on Android or iTunes. I think on uh, on other ones, there's other ways to do it. Spotify, of course. And if you want to re- leave an iTunes review, that'll be fantastic. Uh, all the algorithmic benefits that come with that, I very much appreciate it. Uh, if you want to buy some Half House History swag, head to the head to the shop, bigcartel.com slash History or halfhousehistory.bigcartel.com. I really should look that up before I do the housekeeping stuff. Um, and, and apologies to those of you who sent in orders. That There's obviously been a delay in getting them to you, and I do apologize for that, but rest sure they are on their way. I'll chuck some extra stuff in there for you as well, you know, by way of apology. Um, and uh, what else is there to talk about? Of course, the Patreons, the Patreons, the people keeping me in, uh, in, 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 you know, bread and honey every week. I just get oh, the honey budget blown out like you wouldn't believe, thanks to all the Patreon supporters there like that, especially the many executive producers that are, that subscribe at the at the highest tier. So thank you to each and every one of you. There's over 100 Patreon members, and I, and I, I appreciate it. You're my very favorite kind of listener. All the rest of the listeners, garbage tier listeners. Uh, no, that's not true. Cut that one out. Cut, put, put that in the, in the exclusive Patreon-only show, Riley. Don't put that. Don't put that in the one that all the plebs can – I mean, all the – Regular, li- oh, okay. I better. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna bail out of this one before I make things worse for myself. Anyway, if you if you want to stop being a garbage tier pleb, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/halfhousehistory and uh, and make a contribution there. Anyway, but you don't have to do it because the show is always going to be free. And thank you for listening, even if you don't give me money. It's it's. I still really appreciate it. Oops. Anyway, we're done. We're done. Skis here. Thank you for hanging out with me for another week. I'll see you back here next week for more half this history. Until then, of course, leaving you with a question posed on Reddit, closing out the show every week as we do. This one asked by Reddit historian Smog Sultan, who asks, if smallpox was eradicated in 1980, 
How come we haven't eradicated big pox yet? Wouldn't big pox be easy to find and exterminate since it's just bigger?